If you've ever taken a, a college course or a prep college course, been a part of upper academia, you can understand that professors provide um, two reading lists. One reading list is the required reading list for your uh, curriculum. The second is an optional reading list, which can enhance your experience, but let's be honest about it. Most of us students, what we do, we end up reading the extra credit books, the other books, because we messed up on a pop quiz. <laughs> and, and if you did the extra reading, the optional reading, you can actually make up for a little, um, a little uh, pop quiz that you bombed on. How many ever did that before in school? So you just kind of do the extra, you do the extra reading. But today I want to focus not on the extra reading, I want to focus on the required reading. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, the message that we heard last week by Reverend Tony Cook is what I will call required reading or required listening. In order for you to get an understanding of what your role is on the earth, in the body of Christ, and here at Heart of the Bay or at whatever church you attend as a part of the last day move of God. And mark my words on this. We will give an account of how we used our time. I don't like to have to say things like this, but the fact of the matter is I would be remiss if I didn't. And that is that each and every one of us is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account of what we did with our time. We're going to give an account. I'm not trying to scare anyone, but I just want to wake everybody up. I think I'm really quiet in church. Maybe there'll be a joke sometime and it'll help you get happy. But we do have accountability in the body of Christ. And if you don't have someone calling you on the phone or getting in your face about something, understand that at some point, we will stand before the throne of God and give an account of the deeds done in the body. Okay, did I get your attention yet? Amen. So we're going to take off our time together focusing on a statement that can have a number of different meanings, but for the sake of our time together so that we can be on the same page, I'm going to, pro I'm going to suggest what our definition is, and that is um, carpe diem. By the way, carpe diem means seize the day, and uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. My message today is entitled, and please put this on the CD, the title is, As for me and my house, dot, dot, dot. Now, if you've ever heard that before, I want you to, when I get to that point, to the dot, 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 I want you to finish the statement. Are you ready, Heart of the Bay? As for me and my house, wow, it's amazing how many Christians... It's amazing how many Christians know, have heard that. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. amen. In order to serve the Lord, it seems to me that carpe diem or seize the day is quite appropriate. Now, let's talk about this. It would help to know what you think or what you believe about the phrase carpe diem. It literally means seize the day. And so we suppose it could depend... Uh, what that means to you as a Christian, we're supposed to live in the day and not worry about what might happen tomorrow. That's scriptural. In uh, Matthew 6.33, he said, uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Is that right? And then at, at, toward the end of that, he says that uh, sufficient unto the day is the 
evil thereof, right? So, so don't worry about what's coming down the pike tomorrow. Just, you, you got your hands full with today. That's what he's saying today. Can somebody say today? And if today is where we live, isn't that where we live? Last I checked, we're today, right? And so it's our responsibility to seize today. And we're going to talk about this. Uh, I like what this says. The meaning of carpe diem was used by a Roman poet named Horace. And it, in my opinion, it was not to ignore the future, but rather not to trust that every is not to trust in everything, but to believe that everything is going to fall into place depending on the action that you're taking today. And I like what uh, Pope John Paul II said. He said, the future starts today. Can you say that with me? The future starts today, not tomorrow. Amen. I've always considered that to seize opportunity is a good thing. You know, uh, consider that when opportunity comes your way, especially when it's God opportunity, huh, that you should do it without delay. And here's a little admonishment as we go in our little time together. If we would, as Christians, carpe diem in God just a little bit more, we would be sure not to miss out on what truly makes us happy. A lot of people are trying to make life happy, make life right. But in, if your goal is to be comfortable and make life happy and you leave God out of the equation, guess what happens? <laughs> You're not going to be happy. Let me give you a literal translation of carpe diem. It means pluck the day. Pluck it. And that to me speaks of harvest. Can I just review a little bit of what Reverend Tony Cook ministered on last Sunday? Uh, this in maybe two minutes and it doesn't do justice to it all. But the thought was from Matthew 9 verse 35 through 38. He mentioned a term or coined a term called multi-dimensional ministry. Can you read with me taking it up in the Amplified Bible, Matthew chapter 9? Can you do that please? Verse 35 through 38. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and curing all kinds of disease and every weakness and infirmity. Now, as so eloquently and clearly pointed out by Reverend Tony, even after people were preached, the best preacher that ever lived was Jesus. Will you argue that or will you agree with me there? The best teacher that ever lived was Jesus Christ himself. So these people were preached to and taught to. And who would agree with me that the greatest healer that ever walked the face of the earth was Jesus? So this is a crowd of people that had been preached to, excuse me, taught and healed. And still, this was Jesus' assessment of the demographic after he had done these things, verse 36. Can you take that up with me, please? It says, and he saw, when he saw the throngs, that's a lot of people, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, as Reverend Tony, Ap Tony Appley pointed out, can you imagine what shape they were in before Jesus preached to them and uh, taught them. And before Jesus healed them, they must have been in a real bad case. But the thought is, after Jesus had done those things, this was their condition. As, this, as if to underscore that preaching and teaching and just healing was just the beginning and that there was more to follow. And there you saw that these were people without a shepherd. Of course, you will hear it on the teaching or see it if you watch it online that 
What these people needed was a shepherd, a pastor. And it wasn't necessarily just a pastor like embodied in a person, although we need that. I thank God for my pastors. I trust you thank God for your pastors. But it was also the manifestation of the pastoral care that comes from being in the fold. Happy sheep are in a fold of people. And what happens is there are, t- there are other leaders that are within the church congregation and they are, they're watching out for each other taking each other, watching each other's back. And as you help each other, you produce what we'll call a pastoral touch. That went over like a dead balloon, lead balloon. But the thought is, the thought is, we all have a responsibility to flow in this. Well, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to seminary or I don't, I didn't go to Rhema or I don't have a degree. We're not talking about degrees. What we are talking about is flowing in a need that Jesus said was necessary for people to be able to make it in life. Throwing a message at them. Throwing a teaching. Here, here's a CD. Here, throwing, laying, slapping a hand on them and getting them healed. That's great. I'm so happy they got healed. But you need more. Somebody say more. They need more than that. They needed a shepherd or the spirit of the shepherd. And then beyond that, he pointed out another level of multidimensional ministry, which was laborers. And that's people like you and me that just come alongside and we're the ones that are baking the cookies. We're holding the hand. We're helping people to move. We're uh, wiping the noses in the nursery. Hallelujah. We're the ones teaching the kids in, in the junior high. These are all of us. We're working at the sound booth. God bless Albert. God bless you. You know what? Can I just be honest? about it. I want to thank God for all the parking lot team, the sound team, and the media team right now, because we could be listening in here, and they're out guarding your car. You have no idea just how good things have gotten around here since we had the parking lot team. I thank God for that team. They're out there securing your cars. Hallelujah. Anyway, so then he talked about praying for that the Lord would send laborers into the harvest. And we are going to take it up right here. Can you please turn with Ephes- to Ephesians 2 verse 10. Are you ready? I said, are you ready, heart of the bay? Yes. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. May I read that to you in the Amplified? Indulge me. For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life, living the bad life. The good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. I have a question. Is God a planner? Didn't you hear that last week on the Trinity? God, the Father is the planner. Jesus executes the plan and the Holy Spirit perfects it. What a message. I mean, that really made a whole lot of sense to me. So here's the thought, friends, today, without further ado. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And you may be sitting there and you're looking at me, Pastor Tom, so what? I've heard that a hundred times, a thousand times. Yeah, let me just continue. Secondly, you have a vital role to play in the kingdom of God. And thirdly, your life is not to be lived in an ad hoc fashion going from one emergency event to the other. Ad hoc, what does that mean? It means made or done without planning. 
because of an immediate need, putting out fires, improvising, makeshift lives, just running to the next flat tire, going to the next emergency, getting in the next line to try to put out a fire. Look, God did not create us. He's a much better God than that. To create, to react from one emergency to another emergency in an impromptu fashion. He is a God that plans. He know, you know, and Jeremiah says, I know the plans that I have for you. And when you walk in the plan of God, nothing is an accident. The people in your life, the church you attend, the business you go to, everything is designed by God. It's not an accident. Now, you can get in a little bit of trouble. You can get a little bit sidetracked and end up in the place where it was not planned. If you've taken a trip before, a cross-country trip, you divvied up, let's say you're driving, you want to see the U.S. of A. And you've planned and made reservations at hotels from one city to the next. Well, not next, a 400-mile span. Let's say you're going to drive 400 miles a day. And uh, you made reservations there, and then you start to drive, and then when it gets time for you to pull over, you forgot where the reservation was. Because I know I had it here somewhere. How many of you husbands hate that when that happens? You know your wife is always right. She's like, what, what, what was that reservation? What was it? So you start knocking on doors. You start pulling into drivers. Hotel after hotel, no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. You know, the thought here is that just any hotel will not do. You've got to go where there is a reservation where preparation has been made. That's where your supply is. You may say to me, Pastor Tom, what does it matter what church I go to? Or what does it matter who my friends are? Or what does it matter what ministry I get involved in? You know what the big deal is? That when you're in that place, there's a supply for you. There's a supply for your family. And I'm tired of seeing people waste time and waste years of their life being in the wrong place. You're like the person going from hotel to hotel where there's no vacancy. And all along, if you just remember that reservations were made and you get in that place, it's a wide place, friends. It's a broad place. It's a wealthy place. It's a peaceful place. It's a place full of supply for you. It's a satisfying place. And that's why it's important for you to be at the right place at the design time. We are not an accident going somewhere to happen. We're not trying to figure this out by the seat of our pants. God knew you were going to be alive in 2014. He knew you would be in the Bay Area. And He knew that He would know how to connect you with the right people at the right time. So you would have a full supply emotionally, spiritually, financially, fully loaded. God wants to load you so you could be a blessing in your generation. I thought I'd get an amen on that. No, we're not to try to make do and we're not to try to improvise. God has a plan. Our job is to find that plan. Jesus found the plan. What was the purpose for Jesus' life? It says in the book of 1 John, chapter number 3, verse 8, and I'm going to take the B portion on that. It said, for this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that He might do what? Destroy the works of the devil. Did He accomplish that goal? Somebody say yes. Now listen carefully. In order for you or anyone, and we're not so special that we could break the rules, in order for you to accomplish a goal, that means you need to be very self-disciplined, and cut some things off because you can't do everything in your life. I mean, I know I could do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Yeah, but if you're someplace where Christ is not strengthening you to be in, 
And you're committed to so many things. I'm just trying to say, one of the end time tactics of the enemy in, in Daniel chapter 7 says, he's seeking to wear out the saints. I've never seen people so worn out and tired. I'm talking about good people working three and four jobs trying to make ends meet. I've never seen it so bad for our young couples except by supernatural arrangements where God just opens a door and it's, it's a miracle. Can I just say it's a miracle for you to live in the Bay Area and have a roof over your head? If you don't believe me, look at the rental prices sometime. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. But when you are in the place that God has ordained for you to be, I don't care if it's Las Vegas, Manhattan, London, Paris, or Hayward, or Newark, or Union City. Bless God, if you are in the will of God, there is a supply. Everybody say, in the will of God. Look at this. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 14 through 17 will be a text that we will be resting upon in a little, for a little bit the remainder of our time together. Therefore, he says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall shine and make day dawn upon you and give you light. Verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as the unwise and witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. I would like to think of myself as a wise, sensible, and intelligent person. How about you? Look at verse 16. Making the most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Now, before I go into a couple of those verses in detail, I'm going to propose a model for you. It has to do with fire safety and fire departments and things. It's about, I'll call this little section in our time, the three alarm fire. One alarm, two alarm, three alarm fires or higher are categorized, categories of fires indicating the level of response by local authorities with an elevated number of alarms indicating increased commitment of resources. Are you listening? The term multiple alarm is a quick way of indicating that a fire was severe and difficult to contain. This system of classification is common in the USA among both fire departments and news agencies. Now stay with me, just one more paragraph. The most widely used formula for multi-alarm designation is based on the number of units, fire trucks for example, and firefighters responding to a fire. So the more the vehicles and the firefighters responding, the higher the alarm designation. Reverend Tony spoke to us last weekend about multiple levels of ministry. I would like to propose to you that we have multiple levels of three alarm harvest in progress right now. I would like to propose to you that we are in extreme harvest conditions. Somebody say extreme. Now we know what extreme means. You know we're dealing with an extreme uh, uh, drought. California needs some rain. How many of you glad we got a little bit of rain? I'm thankful for the little rain we got last week. Somebody ought to give God praise for that and keep calling for more rain. And keep asking of the Lord rain, both in the spirit and the natural. But, I don't know about you, but I got a little letter 
from the state of California indicating it was in red. You know, this is a, an important thing in the, indicating that the state of California has determined that we are in extreme drought conditions and they're actually going to have people going out watching you if you're watering your lawn more than so much and if there's runoff. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, Daryl knows what I'm talking about. There's an anointing over here. I could feel it. I'm going to come right over here, Daryl. I got that letter. She says, did you see that? I mean, I, I felt nervous washing my car the other day. Like, dude, I haven't washed my, I haven't washed my little Lexus in, in quite a while. I mean, I felt nervous. Like, don't use too much water. But the thought is this. We are in extreme drought conditions in California, aren't we? Well, let me tell you something. Where spiritually is concerned, we are in extreme harvest condition. Never have I ever seen so many bewildered people, distressed people, hurting people, broke people. Confused people. Wow. And we are, we are called to be Team HBCC to, to jump in and be a part of the harvest workers. Hallelujah. And I'm not just talking about winning the lost, although that's important. But there's also, there are responsibilities that we need to consider. Uh, just, I want to I wanna, I wanna remind you of Matthew 9, 36 through 38, when Jesus saw the throngs in the Amplified, he was moved with pity and sympathy for them because they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. How many of you can be, just be real honest with me. You know that at work, on the bus, in the store, on the street, you see people like this every day. They're so confused. They're so broke. They're so sad. They're, they don't know what to do. We're talking, whew, I know I'm preaching right right now. When Jesus said, the harvest is ripe, he was not kidding. And uh, so let's, let's, let's move on to a part of our, <laughs> a part of our uh, dissertation. If we could look at Ephesians 5.15, I would appreciate it in the Amplified Version. Look carefully then how you walk. Live purposefully and worthily and accurately, not as unwise witless, but as wise, sensible, intelligent people. And I'm going to go to 16 in the Amplified. Making the very most of the time, buying up each opportunity because the days are evil. Ephesians 5.16, the God's Word translation says this, Make the most of your opportunities because the days are evil. Somebody say opportunities. Ephesians 5.16, in the Living Bible, I realize that's the New Living Translation, but it might be close. So be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be fooled. Fools, be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. What word keeps coming up? I don't know if you know. Opportunity. Uh, Can I hear you say opportunity three times real loud? Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. Make the most of it because the days are evil. Now, they're very interesting. I don't want to go really too deep in word studies, but I needed to touch on this word, the days are evil, evil. What does evil mean? That comes from Strong's, I looked it up, Strong's G4190 means paneros. And that means, catch this, it's not necessarily what you and I might have thought. It means that the days are full of labors. Think about it. People are overworked. Working two, three, four jobs. Or even if you had one job, 16, 17 hours a day. Six days a week. No days off. You hardly have time to do the laundry. Am I touching on something here? Does people understand what we're talking about? We're just getting down where we live, friends. 
oppressed and harassed by labors of all things. We are, we are in a place where in order to match the quote, just the living, to put a roof over your head, people are doing extraordinary things just to put a roof over their head and put some bacon on the table. Sorry to all the people that are, uh, what are those things, vegetarians. <laughs> just to put rice and beans on the table. <laughs> it's all right. I'm better. Everybody loves me now. Okay, fine. Vegetables, fine, fine. Tortillas, and okay, I'm good with that. People are working hard. It says the days are full of toil. Toil. I'm submitting to you that there is a war for your time. There is a war, a battle being waged for your attention. The days are evil. The days are full. You can hardly, husbands and wives hardly see each other sometimes. Night shift, day shift. You know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's not just a certain age. I mean, I know people in high school that hardly have time to eat breakfast. Lunch or dinner. Did you eat? Oh, I forgot. They get home. I, I know people that are college students that work, have a job, and they, they, you, they don't know whether they're coming or going. Am I talking to the right crowd? Hardship and labor. The days are evil. The days are full of labor. So what does this mean, Pastor Tom? I mean, of course, it also, evil also means in an ethical sense, evil or wicked. Or I like to say it this way. It's like in aviation, poor flying conditions. It's bad enough that we're busy, but life is a stinking obstacle course sometimes. <laughs> the flying conditions are not great. Visibility is pretty lousy. The wind, ooh, it's taking you every which way. And there's birds flying in the windshield. Uh, what would you say? In inclement weather. My goodness, you have to be instrument rated just to get down to the street and buy some eggs from Trader Joe's to fight the traffic on 880 in rush hour. I have no idea why they call it rush hour because you know you're stuck and you're not even moving. It's hard choice. Kind of a slow ski hour or something. Rush hour? Who coined that phrase? Anyway... I just, I just dropped by to tell you, those of us that are just, we're just, can I just be honest about it? We're just trying to do life, right? We're just trying to provide for our families, pay our bills. Is that right? Listen carefully. That's where the devil would like to keep us. So busy, listen, earning money, paying the bills. Hello, somebody. So you could pay that PG&E bill. So caught up in that. Is there anything wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. It's, are you walking in the blessing? Because there's no time left over for you to even spend time with your wife or your kids. If you're married and have kids. Or if you're single, there's no time to catch up with mom, dad, friends. Like, where have you been? I'm busy. <laughs> I'm busy. I, this is funny. I won't tell you which son it was, but this is really, this is really crazy. I actually had a son this last year call me on the phone. I don't know if he called me or, or you, honey. And he called us. I said, oh, it's so-and-so. I won't reveal who. I don't want to embarrass it. But I have two sons. Maybe you'll figure it out. I picked up the phone. 
says, hey, how you doing? I'm really busy. I don't have a lot. I don't have time. You're like, like, well, why did you call me then? (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm really busy. I can't talk right now. Like, okay, um, see you later. (laughs) Sometimes you don't know if you're coming or going. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. Really? Oh, my Lord. Okay, can we move along? So the days are busy. I get that. <laughs> but the thought is this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. God knows what needs you have. Stop being anxious. Stop stretching yourself so thin. You know, my Bible says that Je- Jesus said this. Come unto me, all those of you. Here's a, here's a recipe to help you. An antidote for what's going on. Come to me, all those of you that are laboring or heavy laden. And I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon me. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Is that right? And you're going to find rest for your souls. I really like that scripture in the, uh, in the message Bible. Can I read that for you? This is for all of you that are so tired. That, I mean, this is in case you call me, Pastor Tom. I pick up the phone. Hey, how you doing? I'm too busy. I can't talk right now. I can't talk right now. Okay. In case you call me, this scripture is for you. Listen. Are you tired and worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch now how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I like that phrase. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn how to live freely and lightly. You know, I just, just a thought. I totally believe in providing for your family. I believe in working hard. We have a very hard work. We have a strong work ethic in my family. That's what I grew up with. But I want to just put a little bit of balance to this. Proverbs 10.22 says this. The blessing of the Lord, it makes truly rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. Neither, what? Neither does toiling increase it. That means... There is a place in God, if you could just take the right opportunities, the God opportunities, there's a place in God where you don't have to work your fingers to your bone, where you won't have to work from morning till night and then turn around and live on Amtrak, you know, on your way to work, you can't tell if you're coming or going, or fall out on 880 corridors, but you can work a reasonable amount of hours and have a reasonable amount of time to spend time with your family and have time with God. Somebody said amen. Amen. There is a place in God. And I understand there's crunch time for companies, you know, if there's a move or a merger and there's training. I get that. But you should be in faith for something. Get in faith for the shift to change. Get in faith for more... For, the, for upper management to get a clue and get PR on it and get more workers because your company needs more people. That's all I'll say to that. Don't just accept things the way they are. You've got to take action and take initiative in order to change things because you've got to learn how to make the most of your opportunities. Can I just move on to this? Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 16. Making the most of every opportunity in, in the Amplified. Buying up each opportunity. In the God's Word translation, making the most of your opportunities. Look what it says in the Living Bible. Be careful how you act. These are difficult days. Don't be wise food. Make the most of every opportunity. This is what brings us back to that little saying, Carpe Diem, which means seize the day. Now, 
learn how to be a good harvester. One of the translations could mean pick or pluck, right? Another one could be make the use of, seize it, enjoy it. That's totally scriptural. In case you're anti-having fun in life, Jesus says, I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, in abundance, till it overflows. That's what Jesus said. I said, that's what Jesus said. But I want to share a little story about the wooden bookshelf. This one, in case my wife has not heard, is going to make her very, very happy. I used to work for a company called Schoenstein Pipe Organ. Uh, the, um, the investor was Jack Bethards, and he was just kind of one of those millionaire kind of people that didn't know what else to do with his money. So he says, I'm going to, I'm going to take a hobby. And so what he did is he purchased... Uh, a very well-established pipe organ building company in San Francisco called Schoenstein Pipe Organ. Along comes PT, and I ended up learning how to build and service pipe organs. I've had the privilege of servicing the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco. I don't even know if that's still open. They built another thing. I've serviced the one up on the hill, the the Mormon Tabernacle one up there. Uh, A lot of the great big organs that you see in the Bay Area, uh, chances are PT has been up in the great tuning them or something. I've had something to do with it and a lot of upgrades and things. But nevertheless, I worked for that company for a period of time. And the point that I'm trying to make is... Friends, you've got to learn how to take advantage of the opportunities that are right in front of you. Why is it that we're always waiting for something until something happens? So, Jack, Mr. Bethards, he, as I, I'm a young man joining this company, and he told me, guys, you could build anything you want in the shop. After hours, you could get in here. The entire shop is yours. These are state-of-the-art woodworking tools, the power saws, the sanders, everything, the precision cutting, the whole thing. It's all at your disposal. You could do anything you want. And guess what happened? I had a neighbor. His name was Wayne Brazel. Wayne was the master uh, builder, and he was able to build a lot of things. He's always making something for his family. You know, Wayne Brazel. Well, if you think of his name, let me know. Was Wayne the guitar player that played with Chick Corea's guy? Okay, well, we were all friends, whatever. It gets... Glenn, okay, first service, got a strike. At first service, I said, it was Glenn Brazel. Sorry, Wayne was the guitar player. Okay, fine, I should have known that. But anyway, um, I gave my notice. An opportunity came up for me, and I said, you know what? Oh, my gosh, I only have like one week because I gave my notice now. And I said, oh, I haven't built anything yet. <laughs> she, did you hear her laugh, everybody? She laughed. Oh, yes, but you did laugh. But she'll be, she'll be smiling in a minute. I built one stinking project. I took advantage of that opportunity one stinking time. And you know what? I built the world's best bookshelf. It was big. It was beautiful. It was braced. I designed it just perfect. But that's all the time I had for. So you know what I got with all my tenure at that company one stinking bookshelf while while glenn brazel has a house full of goodies and furniture that he made i have one stinking bookshelf to show for it well it was a good bookshelf and my wife said it's got to go so this is where after 35 years of marriage it's got to go so this is where some of you will be happy but i'll be glad to name names and take down numbers i i made an offer in the first service i said this represents the one time I took advantage of the opportunity to use the shop. 
with state-of-the-art equipment. I built a bookshelf in the last hours that I was a, an employee for Schoenstein Pipe Organ. And, this, and the bookshelf has serviced me well. But to celebrate the moment, I said, we are now giving that bookshelf away to anyone that wants it. Huh? Come on, stand up and tell. Look at her. She's praising God. She told me we got to get rid of that bookshelf, not because it's ugly or bad or inefficient, because it's the best bookshelf in the planet. But she said it's taken up too much room. And I made this offer to the first service. If you need a bookshelf, have I got a bookshelf for you. It's yours. Just come up after me after the service. And you want to know something? That bookshelf represents the only opportunity that I took to do anything in that shop besides build pipe organs. Glenn, of course, was on the other side. He's always, where's Glenn? He's at the shop. He's making another chair or he's making another bookshop or he's making another whatever toilet paper holder. But Glenn, when you take advantage of opportunities, listen carefully, it doesn't come by accident. Glenn planned to be at the shop, I'm going in Saturday morning and I'm going to make a bookshelf or I'm going to make a, a rocking chair for the baby or I'm going to make a crib. Jesus, kids are probably, he's probably a grandparent. The kids are grown and gone and him and Debbie. But anyway, so he planned and, hey, Glenn, let's hang out. No, he's gone. He's, he's at the shop. Really? Well, whatever. Okay, great. We'll catch you next time. He put it on the calendar. Whenever you go to take advantage of an opportunity, that means you have to turn something else Say it down. down. You have to turn something down because you're not like God in this regard. You're not everywhere at all times. Right, Jimmy? You can't be everywhere. You can pretty much you can do one thing at a time and be one place. Last time I checked, we could be one place at a time. Right? Not. I'm, uh, yeah, you're not omnipresent. So here's a thought. It takes planning and it takes sacrifice sometimes to say no to, to one thing so that you can achieve the goal. Amen, somebody? I lived impromptu in that day, right? I, I, I found an emergency happen. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving the shop and I'm not going to have access, so I'm going to have to build this right now. And there I am late at night <laughs> burning the midnight oil. Well, how many of us have done that, right? <laughs> Burn the midnight oil. But see, Glenn was planned out. He planned what he was doing. Friends, God is not a God of accidents. We are not to live... I'm not proud of that, but it just makes a good story. God does not want you to live your life by accident. He wants you to live your life on purpose. Can you say on purpose? You need to plan. You've got to see... Better yet, you need to hear what the plan of God is for you. Now, let me just share something with you. Oftentimes, the farewell speech from a dignitary, a leader, is probably one of the most significant speeches of their life. And I'm going to allude today to the last speech that one of the patriarchs in the Bible gave. Now, we all said it. We all said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. who said that? Joshua. Did you know that that was Joshua's farewell speech? That was the last address to the children of Israel before he passed away. Now, let me read this to you, Joshua 24. You still have your ears on. I won't hold you much longer. We're getting really close to the finish line. Somebody said, Amen. Amen. 
Joshua's last speech. Joshua 24, verse 14. 15, actually. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Can we take a pause right there? It is not a question of whether you are going to serve someone or something. Today, somebody is serving a Harley Davidson motorcycle, polishing it infinitum. Today, somebody is serving Macy's by buying at the Macy's sale. More than likely, there's a sale somewhere. Instead of serving the Lord. Today, somebody is at the Little League game. Is there anything wrong with going shopping? No. Is there anything wrong with going to a Raider game? No. But you've got to discern what the timing is of it. I get it. We had kids. Our boys were, were in Little League. But we sought out a league where they played on Saturdays. Sterling played, bless God, an award-winning Mets team in San Leandro. And this young lady was the team mom, stand-up team mom. She doesn't want to stand up. God bless that guy that was a... Yeah, yeah. I got to tell a story about the keyboard. He actually said, now everybody gather around, all the boys gather around. You know, this is, this is the team mom, Miss Kimberly over here, and she's going to bless the bath. And we're like, what? <laughs> she's going to, bring your bat over here. <laughs> and he even probably swear, bring your bleep bleep back, bats over here so she can come over here and bless your bleep 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 bats, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, she, she, we'd rather bless the kids, but you know, they won the championship. It must have been a powerful prayer. And you know what? I get it. I, I'm totally invested. That's the problem with me. You know, I'm, I'm totally in. I, I got this problem. I'm totally in on things. So I'm yelling the loudest from the bleachers, in case you thought you could yell louder than me. Then I took it to the next level. I bought a little portable keyboard from Radio Shop. Hey, they love me so much. They said, why don't you come into the announcer's booth? I said, you got it, baby. They gave me a microphone. Now, I think they stopped me at the bada bada. Hey, bada bada. Hey, you can't do that. I worked in the snack bar. I sure did. I brought my little keyboard, make sure the batteries were charged. I did the daddy thing. I sure did. We all went for pizza. It was awesome. It was a great day. And we got the little picture and the little baseball. And we say made memories. But there's something else that I need to tell you that we made memories in. We also made memories with our kids, with our personal life. We connected with them and we brought them to church and they were able to experience some of the wonderful, not some, the wonderful things that happen when you're with a godly influence. Because God knows you need a godly influence in case you didn't notice. We need each other. So I get this. But in view of that, it says you got to choose. Moms, dads, young men, young ladies, Grandmas, grandpas, we all have to choose. Say choose. You've got to choose. And today after service, we're going to give you a chance to choose because God's doing something wonderful at Heart of the Bay. But choose whom you're going to serve, whether the gods from which your father served, which were here on the, or the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for, everybody say it, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
So the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Now therefore he said, Put away the foreign gods which are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, The Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Now look at, very interesting, verse 29, in case you thought that I was fabricating something this morning. Now it came to pass after these things that Joshua the son of Nun did what? The servant of the Lord did what? He died. But... His influence continued, being 110 years old, and they buried him within the border of the inheritance in Timnah of Sarah, which is the mountain of Ephraim on the north side of Mount Gash. But, notice this, Israel, verse 31, served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. Just a thought. How important is your role, your leader in this church? How important is your role, mom and dad? How important is your role, team leader? How important is your role? How important was their role, the elders? I thank God for elders. You know, in case you think that this is all about being 30 years old, you're wrong. Thank God for every age group. We need the wisdom that comes from having lived life and walked with God for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And of course... The, the, the testimony is fabulous that all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had also known the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. So the people said, far be it from us that we'd forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Friends, I, I just want you to, to hear, hear our heart. I believe this heartbeat is in, 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 in us. And that is that heaven's cause has never been clearer. The hour has never been more critical. We are in the last of the last days. The, I mean, if you're following the news at all, if you're following what's happening with Israel, if you're following what's happening with Russia, if you're following what's happening with Syria, it's, you cannot be oblivious. Don't be oblivious. We are living in the last days. I didn't say, don't, I didn't say be afraid. I said be intelligent and be, be astute about what the season is. Human hearts have never hurt so badly. Multitudes indeed are standing in the valley of decision. The whole earth is groaning and travailing, yearning for God's people to rise up and repair the breach. To raise up the foundations of many generations and to restore streets to dwell in. Why don't you stand up with me as I say the final closing comments regarding this message. I I don't know about you, but instead of Falling asleep at the wheel. Heart of the bay will shout hurrahs at the harvest. We're going to pray continually. We're going to preach boldly and clearly. We're going to reach out and heal compassionately. Is that you? We're going to enforce Christ's victory and Satan's defeat relentlessly. And we're going to serve God and His people passionately. And we will hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. How many of you believe that that's the word for today? Not just today, but this season of life. Of our life. Our church life. Your life. Now, outside in the foyer, Pastor Nancy announced this. We are having an emphasis on building teams for God. And let me encourage you, if you haven't been involved in some things, now is a good time to really take another look at this. Your happiness may depend on this. 
Your fulfillment being at the right place, being connected with the right people, the right support system, this could depend on it. We have leaders that are going to do these little small groups of every age group and every background. And they are, they are there not because they have nothing better to do, but because we are in the process of preparing for a great harvest. We're in the process of getting happy in God together. And what I want you to do is I want you to join me in prayer as we pray over Heart of the Bay that we would fulfill, that Heart of the Bay would fulfill the plan of God. And individually that people would fulfill the plan of God for their lives. Father, we thank you for the great harvest that you're calling us to. We thank you, Father, that this place is here, that it's established on your word. Thank you for the wonderful teaching. Thank you for the wonderful preaching. And thank you for the wonderful healing that happened in this house. But above and beyond that, thank you for the pastoral spirit that abides in this place where people will let us If they'll let that pastoral anointing in, they'll find themselves comforted, helped. They'll find themselves, there'll be a supply for them, for their kids. There'll be camaraderie. There'll be support for their profession. There'll be support for their marriage. There'll be support for their education. There'll be support. Hallelujah. And Lord, we're praying, Lord, that you would help us as a church. Help people, Lord God. We, I, I just pray that they'll find their place in the body of Christ and find their purpose and carve out the time and say, yes, I'm going to serve the Lord because this is our cry. This is the cry of my heart. If it's the cry of your heart, say it with me loud and clear. As for me, As for me. And, my house, and my house, we will serve, we will serve. the Lord.